Turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 for a few minutes about Daniel at school. The first chapter of the book of Daniel is about a young man named Daniel at school. Last Sunday, in the second service, I preached to you about perfect hearts. This follows on that because Daniel had one. A few minutes ago, I introduced this second assembly by referring to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, where a prophet of God told Eli, Them that honor me, I will honor. And I want you to remember that maxim of life, maxim of success, as we go through Daniel chapter 1. We do not need to be long. This is a simple story. I want to remind you of the circumstances of it. And then I want to give you the 8th verse and hope that you will take the 8th verse with you. It is the key to the chapter. Let us remember from Romans 15.4 that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Daniel had some difficult circumstances in his life and he had a huge challenge in front of him. But he rose to the top of the class like cream always does, or it does when it's blessed by God. And he rose to the top of his class, and it wasn't his studies that did it, because studies won't do it. Someone's always studying harder than you are. It was God that gave him wisdom and understanding in the sight of Nebuchadnezzar. What a way to graduate You have an interview with the greatest king the earth has ever seen. A personal one-on-one interview with a man who has the power of life and death. A man who has the wisest in the world around him. The most advanced nation of his time. And a personal interview, an oral exam with the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he passed it with flying colors. And so did his buddies that we'll read about. Enough of introduction. Daniel chapter 1, let me read to you the first two verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Just by reading those two verses that give us a historical perspective, I want you to notice that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. No military commander, no military council, no soldier bravery wins battles. It's the Lord that determines which side is going to win in any battle. He's always done that. Jehoiakim and Judah, though outnumbered and inferior in equipment and glory compared to the might of the Babylonian Empire, could easily have destroyed Nebuchadnezzar's army. But the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar out of judgment. I want you to notice that part of the vessels were taken because there were a couple of other excursions by Nebuchadnezzar and his men against Judah, so that it wasn't the complete capture of everything at this case. And there were also men left there 
who would not have let everything be taken. But most was taken. I want you to also notice that it wants you to see that twice the vessels of the house of the God of Israel were taken into the house of another God. And those two little indications in that second verse should tell you that this situation will not stand. Next verses. Let me read to you verses 3 through 7. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Here's further description of the circumstances Daniel finds himself in. For Daniel to be under the care of Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, meant that Daniel was going to be made into a eunuch. Daniel had cut off from him his wonderful supply of aspects of testosterone and malehood that would render him docile, loyal, and preserve all the king's women from anyone else messing with them, which was a circumstance of kings of those times. That would be an unpleasant and rude awakening to your freshman initiation into the graduate school of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar told Ashpenaz to find the best of the best. The big companies, the successful companies, the great companies in our country, they look for the best of the best and put them into fast-track programs, And this was a fast-track program of only three years' duration for the best of the best of these captives to stand before the King Nebuchadnezzar and give him counsel from a Jewish or other captive's vantage point given the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans in which he would communicate. He would have social skills and a demeanor and able to handle themselves in the presence of the king and give him counsel. Notice verse 4 describes a high standard, no blemishes, well-favored. That means in body and mind and appearance, because it says no blemish, skillful in all wisdom. That's wisdom of the Chaldeans that they would recognize as wisdom. They wouldn't even know what the fear of God was yet. Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out in chapter 4, but he doesn't know in chapter 1. Skillful in all wisdom as men measure wisdom, cunning in knowledge, as men understand knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them 
to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. This is the best of the best, the cream of Israel, and it included four men named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We have at least two young men in our own assembly named Daniel. And I hope you two young men named Daniel will love this chapter and love this young man. He's captive. He's taken away from his home, his friends, his school, his parents, his activities, his home, his country, his worship, his church. He's neutered. He's gelded. He's castrated by the king of Babylon. He's taken 500 miles away, and he's put into a program to learn things that are not wisdom, that are not science, that are not learning, that are inferior to what Israel had. But he applies himself with diligence. And when you go to school, most of what you're going to be taught is contrary to the word of God and contrary to the advancement of any nation. But we learn it well and we regurgitate it well so that we perform well in their examinations. And then as soon as we pass their examinations, we forget the froth and the vanity, the folly and the ignorance that they've tried to teach us. Many of you have taken college courses, especially literature, especially psychology, especially biology, and others where they do not know what they are talking about. Evolution is not a science. It doesn't even meet the scientific method that third graders are taught. They have never observed it, and they cannot reproduce it. It is a religion. It is a religion to get rid of God. They preach faith in our public institutions of learning, faith in man who lies to them. And they lie to each other, and they pat each other on the back in order to convince everyone that everyone agrees science is the truth, Bible creation is a fable. Wrong. Verse 5. The king appointed them a daily provision. Every athlete that makes it to the collegiate level has a training table if he goes to a school of any means. That training table feeds him several times a day meals that are specifically chosen for the development of his body for the particular sport that he is in. So that when they hit the field at the collegiate level, they have already been eating right, exercising right, and they perform at a level that the guys in high school have never seen. And so only the best of the best make it from high school to the collegiate level, and only the best of the best make it from the collegiate level to the professional level. It's a weeding out process, and all of life is a weeding out process. And you're going to get weeded out at some point, because you're not the best. But the Lord is the best. And if you have the Lord who is the best, helping you, it's amazing what can happen. And so we're following Daniel, and he's sitting at the training table that the king provided. A daily provision of the king's meat. The best meat that Babylon would have to offer. And the wine which he drank. The best wine. What do you think, what vintage do you think that was? The current year? Last year? The king would have been drinking the best. And these these best of the best captives, these best of the best in a fast track training program were drinking the king's wine along with him. So nourishing them three years. I want to make a point here and I may make it again if we have time and if I remember it. The point is, this is nourishing fair. All men have know that, know that, 
have known it, and all men still know it. The diet that Daniel is going to ask for is a ridiculous diet that does not nourish the body. The reason Daniel asked for it is so that a miracle might be shown to Ashpenaz so that Ashpenaz would be merciful to him. Beans and pea soup with water is not a great diet. There is no value in you going home with Daniel 1 and saying, Mom and Dad, I just want to eat beans and peas and have water to drink from now on. That is not a nourishing diet. Nowhere in the Bible is it considered a nourishing diet. The Bible tells us what we're supposed to eat for nourishment, and I don't have time to preach. If you want to read some entertaining literature, go home to let God be true and look up Hallelujah Diet. The Lord blessed me with a little bit of creativity and some humor one evening when I wrote many, many, many reasons why the Hallelujah Diet is wrong. And it will point out from the Bible in both Testaments that meat is the nourishing factor in a diet. It's the most dense nutrient-wise, and I don't even want to talk about that any further. But I am sick of people going to Daniel chapter 1 and thinking some pitiful little vegetarian diet with water is nutritious. It's not. Daniel picked it because it's not nutritious. Daniel picked it because it has no value in it. Daniel picked it so that God could show a miracle. If I am wrong, then there was no miracle. And Daniel was just doing it because he had read... Adele Davis, or some other health magazine. But he hadn't. He did it because he wasn't going to defile himself morally and religiously. Why am I upset? Because I I hate men who corrupt Scripture. And I hate the corruption of Scripture by men who do it. Listen, in the Bible, what's a great meal? Do you know how the Bible ridicules a salad compared to a steak? Does it do it? Does the Bible ridicule salad compared to a steak? It does. What's the best kind of calf to eat? A range, a range one that's been out on the range that's lean. It's 95% lean. It's got no fat. Are you kidding? Who in the world would ever want to cut into that thing? Listen, I'll, I'll loan you my shoes. It's a fatted calf. It's a fatted calf. It's a stalled ox. Fat is good. <laughs> Lord, I love your word. The fat of the land is what the Lord wanted to give his people. Listen, all your parents grew up on fat back being thrown into everything they ate. And you know what? They lived, they lived as long as you are going to live. You can go ahead and eat your beans and peas with water. You're going nowhere, you skinny little weakling. Go, go home and read the Hallelujah Diet. I like to point out how many gold medals have been won by the nation of India who practices a vegetarian diet as a religion. Do you want to, you want to see the number? <laughs> There's a reason. I'm way off track. Go ahead and say it. I'll say it for you. You're not very good at time management, Pastor. Now among these, these men that were the best of the best, no blemishes, well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and had ability in them, Ashpenaz and others could see that man could be a great counselor. That man is fit for Nebuchadnezzar's cabinet. Did you see the way he handled our interview? 
Did you see the way he answered the questions we asked him? Did you see the records that we dug out of the school that he was going to? Did you hear what others said of him? They took the best of the best, appointed them a king's provision, and among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They got new names to be have their own Babylonian Chaldean names. Now we come to verse 8. And I want to read verses 8 through 16. But... Nebuchadnezzar said, I want these best of the best to eat my meat and to drink my wine. The very things I eat and the very things I drink. I want them to have a portion of my portion. But Daniel purposed in his heart, and this is what I want for all of you. Jamie, it's you again, the second Sunday in a row, second assembly. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants." So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Any one of you that want to go home and eat lentils and drink water for ten days, I'll go eat Big Macs and French fries and we'll see whose face is fatter at the end of the ten days. The point is verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart. He would not defile himself. This is not a dietary matter. This is a religious matter. There was something about that meat that Daniel knew would offend God. There was something about that wine, though the best, that would offend God. When we look through the scriptures, we can see a number of reasons, but there's one that is very obvious. There were unclean meats that were commanded for them not to eat. There were also an idol involved that those animal sacrifices and drink offerings in Babylon would have been offered to a false god. Daniel was not going to defile himself by participating implicitly in idolatry by participating. Daniel would also have known by the Spirit of God and by the book of Proverbs itself. Proverbs chapter 23 that tells you that if you're a man given to appetite and you're in the presence of someone that is feeding you fancy fare like that, put a knife to your throat. Because that fancy fare will deceive your heart. Because the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous are deceiving. And so the book of Proverbs says to put a knife to your throat. There's other reasons. Let's just lift, leave it here. Daniel believed that eating that meat and drinking that wine would offend God. 
It could have been pork. It could have been offered to Bel, God of the Babylonians. He wasn't going to touch it. It was for the Lord's sake. And so he purposed in his heart, I'm not going to do that. As he sat in orientation, and Melzar and Ashpenaz stood in front of the best of the best and said, this is your program for the next three years. This is how we're going to feed you. We are going to treat you like the best of the best because we expect you to be the best. And you're going to stand before the King Nebuchadnezzar who has destroyed your own nations and brought you here to be part of his cabinet if you pass the final exam. And Daniel purposed in his heart as he's listening to that, I'm not going to do that. It started here. It started here. And I'm preaching right now out of conviction that God has given me for you young people. It starts right here. He purposed in his heart. There's no word spoken in verse 8. The words are spoken in the verses that follow. When he spoke to Melzar and said, give me a chance. I won't eat it. Prove me for ten days. It wasn't words in verse 8. It's a purpose in heart. This is the road to success. This is making a choice. God is first. I'm going to honor God, and I don't want to distract you with what Daniel was thinking. We don't even know for sure. There's a number of things that would have defiled Daniel before God in the king's meat and the king's drink. Whatever Daniel focused on, he believed it was wrong for him to eat that meat and God would be offended. So he purposed in his heart, I'm not going to offend my God. I know that my God's house of worship has just been leveled by bulldozers. I know that my God's vessels of worship have just been hauled 500 miles to be in this false idol's house. But my God is still on His throne in heaven. And while this nation may not allow prayer in school, and while they don't want the Ten Commandments there, and while they don't want creation taught, and while they force evolution down our throats, and a whole lot of other false sciences, we still know God is on His throne, and the Bible is true. And so we purpose in our hearts, God said it, that settles it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. God said it in my heart, I believe that. In my heart, I'm going to stand for that. In my heart, I'm going to defend that. In my heart, I will not compromise the truth of God's Word. Young people, that's my message. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. There is no defiling in drinking wine. Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the priest of the Most High God, both drank wine. There is no defilement in eating flesh. Flesh was eaten throughout both Testaments. The Lord Jesus Christ cooked flesh Himself for His disciples. David sent everyone home with a good piece of flesh and a loaf of bread and a flagon of wine. The issue is not dietary. The issue is religious. The issue is moral. The issue is righteousness. The issue is truth. Daniel purposed in his heart, I will not defile myself with the king's meat and drink. Now notice what it says immediately next. Immediately next. What does it say in the next verse? Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the princes, with the prince of the eunuchs. Now Daniel had brought, that's past perfect tense, meaning before Daniel even purposed in his heart, God was doing a work to prepare these men for Daniel to get away with violating the King Nebuchadnezzar's order. By the way, what happened when you didn't do what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted you to do? I, you were, ch- what, 
You were chopped into little pieces and your house was turned into a dunghill. So a bulldozer came and took your house away and then big dump trucks came and dumped chicken stuff from a chicken farm. Your house was turned into a dunghill. But God was already doing the work. Do you understand how God operates? He's always working on behalf of His people. Do you know, Amen. Daniel didn't get a good heart in Daniel 1.8. Daniel already had a good heart. Amen. God was already looking out for Daniel. God already knew what Daniel was going to do in verse 8. And so God was already making a way for it to happen. When you put the Lord first, He'll take care of the rest. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All the things that the Gentiles have to study for. All the things that the Gentiles have to work for. If you put the kingdom of God first, He will bless and multiply your efforts. So that we have a secret little verse. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Except the Lord help the student in school, they graduate insufficiently to accomplish what they desire. Except the Lord. Except the Lord. But the Lord does it so we have verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for He giveth His beloved sleep. If you will do a reasonable effort, but you will be unreasonable in your love of God, He will let you go to sleep. And if you go to sleep with that verse on your tongue, He will take care of you. Verse 9 had set the stage. The prince tells Daniel how fearful he is in verse 10. Daniel asks for a trial period. And the prince gives it to him. Look at Daniel purposing in his heart. Did he risk his life? He risked his life for disobeying the king Nebuchadnezzar. We ought to obey God rather than men. He risked his fast track program. Could he have lost his great opportunity of being in the Babylonian fast track program? He risked the great possibility of advancement. He risked the peer pressure of the other fast-track recruits. They would have made fun of him for eating such ridiculous food. He risked the criticism that he was not politically correct for the changing times. He risked the lives of others, for he could have cost Ashpenaz his own life. He could have cost Melzar his life. He risked the lives of other Jews, for he could have cost them all their lives by his choice to obey God rather than men. Think about it. He feared the Lord the most. He didn't fear Nebuchadnezzar. He feared the Lord. He didn't want to displease the Lord. He didn't care about displeasing Nebuchadnezzar. If he could please the Lord and please Nebuchadnezzar, he would do both. And he did both so well that he survived as a right-hand aide to the council to the kings of Babylon and Persia for 70-plus years. I read to you now from verses 17 through 21. As for these four children, who are they? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Who are they? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Belteshazzar, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if we take their Chaldean names. Verse 17 is, for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I want you to notice again, the Lord, 
the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Nebuchadnezzar didn't win the battle. Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian, are you kidding? Jehoiakim, king of Judah, if he'd have dropped to his knees at an altar and repented for the sins of Judah and have called upon the God of heaven for help, could have whipped the entire army and obliterated the Babylonian empire. They had done it before. Just go look at Egypt. It still looks the same way. After Moses got through with them, with the Lord's blessing, I want you to notice, young people, these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill. Now let's think for a moment. I thought they had knowledge and skill. They had some rudimentary potential. I thought they'd been in school for three years. They had. But in order to accomplish what we're about to read of them, the Lord gave them exceptional knowledge and skill. And it's the exceptional knowledge and skill that rises to the top. Ordinary knowledge and skill, even if it's exceptional in your school, is not good enough. This is exceptional knowledge and skill on a worldwide level. There was no one else to compete with these four because they were the best of the best of the best. But God gave it to them. God gave it to them. And why? Because they had purposed in their hearts that they would not defile themselves with the king's meat or drink. They would not do what others wanted them to do that was wrong. They were going to do what's right no matter the cost. They were going to do what's right no matter the peer pressure. They were going to do what's right no matter what their flesh wanted. They were going to do what's right no matter what the world says about it. They had purposed in their heart they would obey God. And look what the Lord did for them. These things that were written were written aforetime for our learning. That we through comfort and patience of the Scriptures might have hope. All of you young people, you have more hope than they'll ever have. In this world and the next. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Now that's a pretty broad statement. I believe it. So did King Nebuchadnezzar after he met them. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. He had something exceptional. He was able to understand visions and dreams, a supernatural wisdom of supernatural things. Now at the end of the days, at the end of three years, that is, verse 18, that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. The king would ask questions and hear their answers. The king interviewed them. An oral exit interview from graduate school. The king Nebuchadnezzar. Grilling them. Geography, politics, military, all the aspects of running an empire that had 127 provinces that we would call nations. And the king communed with them, verse 19, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Four were chosen out of this graduating class to stand before the king Nebuchadnezzar. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Those are experienced, educated, in their jobs, knowledgeable, great resumes. He found the four ten times better. Praise God. 
You say, well, that ten times is probably just rounding it off. It might have only been nine. Okay. Okay. Praise the Lord for that. Look at that accomplishment. That is a meteor. That is a meteor going from the below the corporate ladder to above the corporate ladder in the blaze of light of three years. You say, well, that's just in the Bible. It's in the Bible for you living outside the Bible. Because we're gonna, you're going to live by the Bible, and the Lord is able to bless you. The Lord may not have you stand before the King Nebuchadnezzar because he's dead. So that may not happen. The Lord may not have you stand before President Obama. We don't know where the Lord's going to put you, but I know the fastest way to get there. I know the best way to get there. I know the way that you can get there and sleep the most. It's the Lord's way. It is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for He giveth His beloved sleep. Psalm 127, verse 2. If you will put the Lord first, like verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1, He will bless and multiply your efforts. Ashpenaz will personally love you. Melzar will personally love you. Nebuchadnezzar will personally like you. And when Melzar, Ashpenaz, and Nebuchadnezzar like you, things happen. Because he found favor in the eyes of his captor. Ashpenaz, the prince and chief of the eunuchs, loved Daniel. Why did that happen? Because God moved his heart to love Daniel. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus, and he continued beyond that. It's just that the first year of King Cyrus was a momentous event in world history when Cyrus the Persian said, The Lord God of heaven hath given me a charge to rebuild his house in Jerusalem. All those of Jews that would like to go back and rebuild his house in Jerusalem, go and I'll pay for it. To put it in brief, Daniel lived beyond that because Daniel chapter 10 has Daniel in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. That is 70 years. Belshazzar, Belshazzar's son, Belshazzar's son's sons. The empire is overthrown. Daniel is not killed. Darius the Mede takes him and makes him first in his kingdom or third in his kingdom. Cyrus the Persian takes him and puts him at the top of his kingdom. That's, that's duration. That's longevity. That's job security. That is 70 years at the highest level. You know how fast they come and go in our government. The Office of Budget... The the General Accounting Office of the United States government, how fast they come and go. The cabinet of our president, 70 years. All this is based on the 8th verse. The 8th verse is what I want you to take out of here. I will not compromise. There are such simple things, children. When a meal is offered, are you going to give God thanks for what you're eating? That food came from God. Whether everybody else knows that or not doesn't mean a thing. They're all pagans. They're pigs and they're pagans. They're eating food that doesn't belong to them. That food comes from the hand of God. The Lord could send a famine on this nation and destroy this and our system of production and distribution and bring us to our knees if He chose to. We deserve it. Give God thanks. The Bible tells you how to dress. The Bible tells you how to talk. The Bible tells you what music pleases God. The Bible tells you about keeping sex in its proper place. And do you know where that is? In marriage. 
The Bible tells you how to think and speak about your parents. The Bible addresses every part of your life, and I have preached all that before. The Bible addresses your life. You obey God and purpose in your heart. I am going to obey the Lord no matter who or how many. Tell me what. I am going to follow the Lord. The Lord can take care of you like He did Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. The things that were... I know when I repeat myself, it's three times in this sermon, two times in the previous sermon, that's five. My father in the prayer closet, that's six times. I know. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Every one of you young men, take your job tomorrow and do it with your might. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. But after a reasonable effort, put the plow down, go to bed, sleep on it, because it's vain for you to think that it's all in your hands. It's in the Lord's hands. He'll bless and multiply your efforts until you're ten times better. You know, some school might have a requirement of a 1400 on the SAT to get in, and you get 1402 and you think, wow, I got in. Getting in doesn't mean anything. How would you like to graduate, and instead of being two points better than letting you in so that they can get money for you, that's the only reason they let you in, is to get money from you or for you from someone else. How would you like to graduate ten times better? Instead of getting in two points over the minimum. How about ten times better? He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Ashpenaz already loved Daniel. And we are told in chapter 6 that he had an excellent spirit. I hope that you can see Proverbs 22.11 fulfilled again in the life of Daniel. May the Lord bless all of you, especially our youth. May God the Holy Spirit convict you by His Holy Word.